Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I'm your host, Philip Coover of Clark Hill PLC. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric, national in scope commercial real estate podcast, which presents real estate professionals and attorneys to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, explanation of sophisticated real estate problems, current developments, and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of real estate, business, and law. Retail is alive. Today, we have Margaret Graham and Jamie Birchie of Mid-America Asset Management on to talk about the state of retail. It's time for us to re-examine what's going on in retail. For years, people have said that it's dead or dying in the bricks and mortar space, but it turns out that it's very much alive. It's just a changing landscape and an interesting one. And with the holiday season upon us and shopping to be done, I thought it'd be great to have Jamie and Margaret to come on the show to talk about what's going on in retail. Mid-America Asset Management is the leading full-service retail real estate service provider in the Midwest, specializing in all aspects of retail real estate. Mid-America leases or manages approximately 55 million square feet of retail space throughout the Midwest, including property management and construction management services. They've represented over 250 tenants at local, regional, and national expansion and they've completed over $9 billion in investment sale transactions. Mid-America manage, manages more square feet of retail space than anyone in the state of Illinois, and they're all over the Midwest. So who better to come on and talk about what's going on in retail? I've worked with Jamie and Margaret for many years on various transactions and known them uh, professionally, and I just find them to be the, some of the smartest, sharpest, most innovative people out there. And so they help lease space uh, for landlords on on Michigan Avenue and the kind of the gold standard of of shopping and retail district here in the Midwest, all the way out to some of the tertiary markets uh, in the outlying suburbs of the Chicagoland area near where I grew up in DeKalb, Illinois. So who better to be able to talk about the full spectrum of what's going on in retail than Margaret and Jamie. Before we get into that, this show is uh, is help is produced by Clark Hill PLC. I'm a member and attorney with the firm. It has Clark Hill has over 650 attorneys and professionals across 25 offices in the United States and uh, Ireland and Mexico. And it's a full service, multidisciplinary uh, practice, and we can help you with almost everything. So. If you want to learn more, contact me at pcover, P-C-O-O-V-E-R, at clarkhill.com, or feel free to visit our website or the website of the show, realestatebreakfast.com. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Feel free to reach out to me, questions or ideas for future shows, and please enjoy this interview with Margaret Graham and Jamie Birchie of Mid-America Asset Management. Thanks so much. This is Philip Coover, and this is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. Today, we have two brokers from Mid-America Asset Management. We have Margaret Graham and Jamie Birchie. Margaret, Jamie, thank you for coming on the show. Good morning. Thanks for having us. I wanted to have you all on the show because you all are primarily retail brokers, and Mid-America is a third-party asset management company, also has a a brokerage arm, and um, you all work with so many different retailers and landlords all over the Midwest. You 
Mid-America, as I mentioned in, in my introduction, uh, is one of the largest third-party asset managers here in the Midwest. So you all deal with retailers just both in dense commercial city urban areas in the, the, the suburbs uh, that act like a city like Oak Park and uh, Naperville and also in the sort of tertiary outlying. So you really, this, I think you all are great to explain what's going on in retail because a lot of what you see is applicable across the country. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, that we didn't learn in the intro and, and then we'll talk about, we'll, we'll get into retail. Sure, so um, this is Margaret Graham. I started at MidAmerica back in 2000, so over 18 years now, which is hard to believe. And during that time, I focused solely on landlord representation. Um, as, as you just mentioned, Phil, in the city and also the suburban markets, I've been involved extensively with regional mall leasing, lifestyle properties, urban street front leasing, suburban downtowns, uh, power centers, and grocery anchored neighborhood properties. Great, Jamie. Um, I started in 2004, so I've been in the business 14 years. Um, like market, only focus on landlord rep presentation. And um, a lot of my product type is either traditional grocery centers, uh, big box centers, and have really focused a lot on our city uh, retail, which includes street front retail. Um, and you know, a lot of our clients we're finding are buying and <clears throat> want to have more properties on the high streets and downtown. So um, we want to be able to service them. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is just I think in. We're recording this right around Thanksgiving. It'll be released right as we lead into the retail holiday season. Uh, everyone's thinking about retail during the holidays, but I also think it's time to start reconceptualizing retail. I think two years ago we were at ICSC, and I, I remember vividly the magazine cover saying retail is FU asterisk asterisk ED. <laughs> And they're obviously trying to sell some newspapers there, but that was the sentiment for a few years. And certainly retail has had some challenges um, and people have referred to it as being dead, but here we are. Retail, people are gonna buy a lot of products here for Christmas time. Uh, tell us about the state of retail. Well, I think the headlines have predicted the end of bricks and mortar retail for more than 10 years now. Um, but the reality is that despite the casualties this year, and there have been many, and they have been significant with Toys R Us, Bonton, and Sears, just to name a few, uh, there are still more store openings than closures. And really? even today, uh, re retail sales um, as a percentage of e-commerce to bricks and mortar sales are still only 10% or just over 10%. So the reality is the majority of retail spending is still done in the bricks and mortar environment. So I think the conversation has finally shifted from the apocalyptic end of bricks and mortar retail to an overall acceptance of the vital role that it plays within uh, the retail omni-channel experience. And I also think the reality is that nothing can replace customer service. So I think that, you know, we're seeing that stores who have online presence have to have a brick and mortar store and have to be able to service the customer in terms of that, you know, physical and personal uh, connection. I mean, online shopping can be frustrating. I, 
I return half the stuff I order. I don't like searching through it on my phone. I don't like, I don't get That's to try it want. on. That's what we want. Right. The landlord representation side, we want to bring you to the to the store, to the bricks and mortar store. Well, and sometimes so, it's easier to return at yeah. a physical store. It is, but then yeah. you, you buy something new or you crash up. And that's the benefit of and the balance and relationship between online shopping and, and bricks and mortar. Our, our challenge as landlord um, representatives in, in the retail market is to bring customer traffic to the property. So we've seen a complete change in the merchandising mix and uh, what's productive for the property, but we love returns. So keep bringing the returns and cross shopping within God, the property. God, I won't feel bad about it anymore. <laughs> no, that's what, we, that's what we want. So tell us a little bit, you, you, I forget the way you just phrased that, but there's some sort of a relationship between the online shopping and the, the brick and mortar. Tell us a little bit about um, there being a, a symbiosis uh, rather than those two different uh, methods of, of buying products being at odds with each other? Um, sure. So we're, we have seen that web traffic actually goes up in markets where a retailer has a store. So if they already have an online presence and then they open up a store in that market, we're showing that it's like an average of 37% that sales go up. So I think that's really positive. Um, and the converse is true as well. So if a bricks and mortar store closes in a trade area, it's it has been proven by ICSC that over overall online sales also decrease. So there's a, a codependence per se between the online and the bricks and mortar. I mean, that makes sense. If you're driving around and you see stores, you might be more apt to buy online. But if you never see a physical store anywhere, you'll never even think, to look it up on your computer or your phone to buy a product. So it does make And it helps with our brand awareness right. as well. So, Do you all uh, manage any properties on Michigan Avenue? I remember hearing something a couple of years ago about people will have stores on Michigan, companies will have stores on Michigan Avenue even though they're loss leaders and they'll really, it's just a marketing cost. Well, there's kind of been a cosmic shift in terms of the the role that bricks and mortar stores play overall, and it's much more of an experiential brand, customer service, establishing customer loyalty play than it has been in the past when it was more so driven for product distribution. So yes, you'll, you'll see that on Michigan Avenue, but you'll see that elsewhere, even with pop-up stores as well, creating that relationship with the shopper that can then be continued online with um, e-commerce. Uh, what is what is omni-channel? I've heard that phrase a lot. So, I always nod. So omni-channel is really just combining all the elements of having a bricks and mortar store, having an online presence, being interactive in terms of social media apps, um, everything combined that will help drive, you know, traffic, drive sales, um, customer experience. So it's kind of all under that umbrella. So initially, e-commerce was more so geared towards home shopping from your home computer, your laptop, your iPad, and now it's grown to include mobile commerce. So you'll hear the M-commerce uh, phrase mm. as well. So it's it's really that retail's become not, it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. It's with you wherever you are. You're looking at your phone, you're looking at your Instagram feed, and you're suddenly shopping. Yes. And we, we listened to, you know, there was, um, ICSC had like a, bricks to, you know, how bricks impacts clicks um, webinar. And they basically said that 75% of multi-channel retailers are more profitable than their pure play counterparts. So if they're able to do that, 
you know, again, the whole thing to help drive sales. I've also heard that pure play online retail is just a tough business. There's just, uh, it's hard to charge for shipping and the return issue isn't as good of, mm-hmm. like Margaret was saying, it's not as good to have returns because you're not coming back to the store and buying something else. You're just shipping something back. And so the margins are a little bit more challenging. Although mm-hmm. I suppose you don't have the, the brick and mortar costs, but um, I've heard that that's, you know, a couple of years ago, it was thought that we we're all gonna go that way, but I've heard that, that that's a tough business. It is, and that's where you're seeing those pure online retailers actually open storefronts. So from the Warby Parkers on, on down the line, yeah, you know, I mean, there's a real push from, from the initial start on the e-commerce side of the business to coming full circle to needing bricks and mortar and, and growing in the bricks and mortar um, arena across the country. I think Armitage is a good example of that. So you have, you know, now Outdoor Voices opening, Bonobos, Warby Parker, Allbirds, you know, Serena and Lily, you have tenants who are just online only who are now opening up, you know, their first brick and mortar stores. Yeah, all the trendy millennial based um, <laughs> uh, retailers that have all the cool items. Um, Tell us a little bit about, I, I should have had you say at the start where, I, I mentioned it generally, where what markets you service, but um, you, you service the Chicagoland area. So tell us about what you're seeing in the Chicagoland area city-wise before we talk about it in the suburbs. Well, let's do a macro combining both just quickly. So Chicago, um, there's certainly a perception that there's not a lot happening in, in terms of bricks and mortar, but the reality is that our vacancy rate is is even has even surpassed the recovery from the recession. So we're over 12% in terms of vacancy throughout the market. So we have a significant amount of space that needs to be absorbed and repurposed. Some some of which will certainly be retail, not all of it will remain retail. So that's kind of the theme of what we'll be talking about today is mm. is the active categories and and what landlords are doing to release uh, properties. I know malls are are often in the news, and this is a, a question that we hear often. But overall, we have a significant amount of vacancy, and we also have a real lag, and we have um, coming out of the recession of new construction. So where we used to average 5 million square feet of new retail inventory annually up until about 2008, when we peaked around 8 million, um, that number has declined um, to right around a million or so coming out of the recession. And and now we're at kind of a historic low, under 900,000 square feet um, anticipated in terms of new construction. So more so, the focus has been redevelopment of retail space than really any new retail development. How are landlords redeveloping some of the vacant product? Uh, <clears throat> you know, a couple different ways. Um, you know, teardowns for outlots. Um, you know, that's been you know kind of the trend um, for malls and um, you know larger box space. I also think you know uh, alternative uses. So you know we're looking at medical. Um, fitness, you know, furniture, off-price apparel. Um, those have been like kind of, you know, the main, I'd say, categories in terms of, you know, backfilling the box phase. You'll see essentially every property is looking for some sort of entertainment experiential play to draw from a larger trade area to bring people to the property to spend time. 
I think, you know, to answer your question, Phil, it's really thinking outside the box and and looking at things in a perfect world. You may have to tear down that box or you may have to downsize the box. Bring in pads or look at residential, residential uh-huh. plays, medical plays, um, more common spaces. Yeah, common area, you know, outdoor areas. Yeah, so taking that what was historically all retail commercial uh, center and making it mixed use. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you're seeing that theme especially in malls. So yeah. bringing in that regular traffic that, you know, a regional mall is, is tricky. You don't have to go there all the time. Clearly, you can shop online and avoid it. But if you have the daily needs of fitness or grocery or entertainment, those are things that you have to, to go out to do. So you will that will bring people to the mall. Um, a lot of the malls are, are looking at plans to bring in residential components, hotel components, certainly additional restaurants. So all, all of the merchandising right now is done strategically to drive traffic to a property. And, and we've been focused on it as on the landlord side. I mean, I think we've been you know, thoughtful and strategic in terms of the tenants we're going after on behalf of our clients. And, you know, the ones who like, you know, uh, Athletico or ATI, Cairo, dentist, you know, specialty fitness, entertainment, things that maybe weren't considered before as, you know, your kind of highest and best use and, you know, restaurants. We see that if you have those tenants long term, you're helping drive, physically drive traffic to the center. Right. Yeah, you're bringing people there. And then once they're there, Get them to do something else. Mm-hmm, right. uh, do you often find yourself, Mid America, and generally as as an advisor to the landlords that own the properties, uh, helping these landlords figure out what to do with a lot of vacant space? Definitely, yeah, 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 all day, every day. So you know, though we are in the retail real estate business, even more so, we're in the information business. Yeah. So you know, how we add value to our clients is to provide the best data and comp information available so they can make the most informed real estate decisions. Yeah, I mean, one thing I think MidAmerica is great at is we traditionally, maybe 10 years ago, I, I would think of a, a retail broker as just somebody, space goes out, get somebody new to fill that space. But now you guys are, are more just what creatively can we do to make, to maximize the value of this property, even if it's, um, redevelopment or like you're saying knocking a building down you know that's uh it's a lot more difficult job for you uh, than it used to be because you you have to think so creatively more of a strategic long-term view of merchandising and we're seeing you know tenants too a lot of times you know downsizing their layouts and prototypes you know and we're looking at that as well um you know how do we reconfigure space at the center how do we keep existing tenants that we have you know if it's a you know tj maxx that's in thirty thousand square feet you know they want to be closer to that twenty twenty two thousand square feet um or even you know for example you know like blaze pizza who's looking to kind of downsize their layout in order to um you know afford bigger rents in the city um you know just examples of kind of you know the difference different things that are going on right now yeah uh what is the difference between the the urban markets and the suburban markets well the urban market is typically a priority for tenants based on densities that can offer greater opportunity for sales but it's harder to find the traditional layout you know the parking that you might find in a traditional suburban shopping center and um, I actually think there's, you know, there's more similarities um, 
maybe the differences, you know, especially between the product types and categories that we're seeing that are active in the suburbs in the city. I think that remains consistent. Um, we're also seeing, we can talk about just some similar trends that we've tried to identify and maybe help explain kind of this retail environment. Yeah, please. Sure. Um, so, you know, we're seeing alternative uses, as we mentioned. So, you know, the medical, fitness, co-working, residential, food halls um, have been a great example of how to repurpose space. Um, and, you know, salon suites, um, that's, you know, they've been pretty active. There's a handful of different tenants in that category. Um, and then swim schools as well. Wait, yeah, the apparel you, side tradition. Are swim schools? Yeah. Yes. Don't tell me about that. <laughs> oh, wait, you're not here yet? I, I'm not. I have two young kids, but oh, not yeah, They start young. Swimming. You know, the parents could go in at like, you know, I think six, a year, six months a year. Mm -hmm. So. No, no, tell me, what is a swim school and how is Very it? Very high price monthly um, fitness <laughs> membership for your child. It brings you to a shopping center on a regular basis yeah. to, to do other things. This, this is how we sell our clients. Right. You just have to convince your landlord to be okay with putting a pool in their space. And That's then, it. You know, no big thing. Right. They're taking <laughs> sw swim schools for children are taking over former retail space. Oh, yes. Yeah. Can that be the headline of this podcast? Yeah. I mean, no. They're... <laughs> <laughs> no. says swim schools replace retail. No. I mean, both Mark and I are, you know, we've spent we times at graduated. swim schools. So, yeah, I actually, I'm all for it. I think they're a great use um, in terms of, you know, they attract families on a consistent basis. Um, I think you just, you know, you have to obviously get comfortable with uh, the deal structure. Yeah, that is creative use. So, Margaret, I, I cut you off. I was just going to add to Jamie's list of uh, active tenants and categories and, and trends that we're seeing across the board. You know, traditional apparel sales have been um, significantly down, very soft. Um, but what has really been active in the last few years and uh, performing very well is the off-price segment. So we also love off-price, whether it's a Ross, Nordstrom Rack, TJ Maxx brands, Burlington, because they too bring the consumer to the shopping center for that treasure hunt. So you're going for the luxury item at the discount price, and that's that's fueling a lot of traffic and cross-shopping. So a very active category. Yeah, my friends uh, and I were talking about that just yesterday, and also how Dollar General is doing very well. Um, what is it about the, the discount category that's making them so successful in this time compared to some of the traditional retailers? I think it's the perception of the deal. I mean, certainly we've seen um, softness in the luxury category in terms of sales over the last few years. But if, if you look at headlines for openings for dollar stores in general, you, you wouldn't realize there was any kind of uh, a slowdown in bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. There's been a tremendous amount of growth in that category. Yeah, because we were talking about because Target not announced they're closing a couple stores in the south side. There were some protests recently, and uh, my friends were like, well, Dollar General just snapped those stores right up. Um, it's just interesting that those products are doing so well. I mean, you know, I would almost think that if people were going to buy a higher-end product, they'd be more inclined to go to the store if they're going to spend a little bit more money on it. Um, but maybe it's just that the appetite for the higher end product isn't there as much or people feel like the difference isn't as much or daily need shopping too yeah and also like you were saying the experience of uh the treasure hunt mm -hmm. yeah um that seems to be a theme that we're getting through kohl's and tj maxx and marshall's and, and the store in store the experiential uh, movement to bring people into the store you'll see a number of retailers you know rh just 
to name one with their restaurant within the mm-hmm. store and their cafe concept and you can have a glass of wine while you shop which is you know hopefully going to translate into more shopping so that's a general theme across the board as well um, and also, you know, the customer experience and importance of technologies, another trend we're seeing, um, you know, and good examples of that are, you know, like Kohl's adding, you know, an Amazon, um, you know, drop off and pick up in their store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's adding to the customer experience and just Mariano's and Whole Foods and Jewel offering online, you know, pick up. Um, home delivery within home two delivery. hours. and Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think tenant and these retailers are trying to really just connect with their customers through social media. Um, One of the trends you mentioned earlier is medical office. Uh, Tell me more about medical office. I've been hearing that a lot, but why is there so much more medical office that needs physical space than there used to be? I don't know that it's necessarily more, but the retail vacancy has provided opportunities for medical groups, large hospital groups to locate conveniently to their customer with great visibility, accessibility, and parking. Mm -hmm. So these these are real growth opportunities. How do the landlords receive uh, the suggestion that they should accept a medical office as opposed to, to retail. We, we did in Lincolnshire. I mean, the um, North Shore uh, North Shore Health uh, Care took over the former Barnes and Noble space there. So you know that was a retail anchor. Um, but you know, box a freestanding box with surface level parking right up on the street. So. So yeah, years ago, there was a, a true distinction between um, product types and retail. So you had your mall tenants, you had your lifestyle tenants, you had your power center tenants, your street front tenants, your grocery anchor tenants. And I think over time, you're just seeing so much more of a hybrid between mm-hmm. all of the product types because, again, retail has shifted to drive visits to the property. So when you bring in medical, you know, it's complementary to the pharmacy. People may do cross shopping. It may just bring other people who are stuck waiting at the shopping center or who are working on site to, to dine and shop and do those things. So it's all about driving traffic. And I think, you know, properties across the board, whether it's a regional mall or a grocery anchored center, you know, for the most part, you're seeing more of a shift towards alternate uses in general, but certainly um, openness to, to medical, whether it's boutique to large scale hospital groups coming in. And from the landlord side, I mean, you're looking at like at least a 10 year term, you know, significant investment and improvement on, you know, the tenant side. So you have like, you know, good credit, yeah, very stable, stable tenant right. as your anchor. Do landlords do any? Well, you mentioned entertainment. So what are landlords do besides bringing in uh, a store or a company that would in and of itself uh, bring people, but what are landlords doing in terms of entertainment in order to attract customers to the property? Well, I think there's a few different things. In terms of active tenants, there's certainly a lot more than we've ever seen um, on the entertainment side. And it's it's not just Chuck E. Cheese anymore for families. It's your trampoline parks, it's your climbing gyms, bowling, um, bowling for sure, Move, shuffleboard, movies, <laughs> axe throwing, I mean, all kinds of right. family-friendly right. activities. But again, it, it's bringing the family, bringing everyone. They won't only come for the experience of the entertainment, 
piece of it, but they'll stay and they'll shop or they're dying because they're already there. But like at Geneva Commons, are you guys doing like sure. activating? We've activated common areas. You know, Geneva is is one example where um, the landlord LaSalle invested significantly in our um, unactivated common area to bring in a green, to add digital screens um, so that we were able to expand our, our offerings and again, drive more traffic. So it's outdoor movie series, outdoor concerts, um, yoga classes on the green, uh, in the winter ice skating, and it's events that are held year year round that are really drawing the customer for a specific specific event, and then the byproduct is is shopping. So, Maria, you just said the unactivated common areas. What is an unactivated common area? Just green space with nothing going on. <laughs> that was what we did as a kid. We just had a <laughs> shopping mall, and it was just like an open carpeted area that everyone played on and you just you just ran around in a circle well, now you have your outdoor fire pit and your life-size chess so <laughs> entertainment all around so you we've touched on this a little bit but one item that we see in the news quite a bit is all of the large big box space um, Sears and you know there there are many different bankruptcies that have occurred over the past few years some of which uh, may occur in the future, uh, but it used to be that you would want a lot of big box anchors that took up a lot of space, but what are landlords uh, doing with those large spaces, probably just by their sheer size, have a smaller, um, there's a smaller group that could fill them. So what are, how are you counseling landlords to, um, to alleviate all that vacant space? I mean, it's definitely a good question. I think that it depends on the size of the space, the center. I mean, for example, I think landlords are also looking at shorter term, term deals, you know, call it a, you know, two-year deal. Um, and, you know, or possibly re redemising the boxes or in the case of the malls, just getting rid of the box altogether and, you know, putting either, like we said, the fitness or entertainment with the ability to have entrances from the parking. Um, and I think kind of just rethinking the layout um, of your center and with the box. Um, but I think long term, um, you just want to make sure that you have your right sized going forward for these tenants and these large boxes. Um, they're just hard to fill. Yeah. So it's still, you know, on the same theme of driving traffic. So what drives people to a shopping center? Because it's not always your traditional retail. So it'll be your fitness, it'll be your entertainment, maybe grocery. Um, entertain other entertainment uses, hotels, uh, multifamily. So really getting out of the box, clearly restaurants and pad opportunities, um, but really rethinking that box mm -hmm. and, and what is, again, in the, in the best interest of the property and, and strategic thinking going forward. How about co-working space? Are you seeing co-working space in traditional retail settings? Yeah, definitely. In city. Yeah, in the yeah. city there's been a lot popping up. Um, and, you know, definitely I think that's a use that's been able to backfill some larger spaces. For example, you know, Regis taking the former sports authority in River North. Um, and I just think all over, uh, strategically located, you know, there's just a lot more people, I think, working from home. And, you know, um, you see like when you walk into a Whole Foods or coffee shops, people working from home. So I think the co-working spaces um, are definitely, you know, we're seeing them pop up. 
You're also seeing retailers like Office Max mm -hmm. who will use a significant portion of their space going forward depending on the density, daytime population density in a the market. They'll convert that to co-working space. Oh, that's really smart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes right with their brand too. Mm -hmm. It also goes along with what you've, you've been talking about, which is just driving traffic. If you have people who are just going to work for a couple hours, um, you know, the that are there, they might go somewhere else. Uh, that's ex I, I've all I used to think a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was my wife came up with the idea, but like Best Buy should also just have a coffee shop so you could you can play with some of the electronic equipment. And you could also lounge and maybe even they'd put a movie up on the side, mm -hmm. and then you people like to work while there's a movie in the background. But it looks like Office Space is getting out ahead of that. They're gonna mm -hmm. they're gonna beat them to the punch. Mm -hmm. One thing you mentioned, uh, Jamie, was just uh, shorter term leases. And I just, I wanted to ask you in general, uh, whether it's to fill big box space or not, do you find that lease terms in general are shorter than they might have been years ago? No, not necessarily. Um, but, you know, I think to add to that, like we're seeing some pop-up shops uh, more in the city too, I think as a way to you know, test the concept, see if it's going to work out. Um, obviously, if you have, call it a second generation restaurant space, or if you have the, you know, the um, infrastructure in place for a tenant or a vanilla box, just for tenant to come right in, open up, see how they perform. Um, I think that's a good way to kind of have the retailer test the market, have the landlord test the retailer and see if it works out, maybe possibility of converting to a long-term deal. So we have seen that, um, but I think it just depends on, you know, the if it's, you know, a big box, what type of center it is. If you are going to do a short-term deal, you know, generally you do that if there's little to no, you know, investment on the landlord side. Yeah, right. I think retailers are, are wary in a way of, of longer term commitments more so than they have been in the past because you know the state of retail as we've been talking about today is evolving faster than it has at any other time. So you know it's hard to anticipate you know 10 years down the road. So I do see some particularly in apparel and uh, electronics or more cellular I should say doing shorter term deals because of you know mm -hmm. mergers and things like that. I also just feel like it's a symptom of our the times we live in that companies and people are just commitment phobes and they're just like, well, let's lock it in for three years. Or, you know, I, I used to see a lot more leases that where people are like, well, let's lock this in for 10 years and then we'll have, With I just very rarely get on that. Yeah, and I just very rarely do I see a, an initial 10, 15 year term anymore. It's usually, well, we'll take it for three years and then we'll, we want options going forward. Um, yeah, it just it just anecdotally, I don't know what the evidence is, but I just don't feel like I see the longer uh, initial term leases anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think you also just always want to show activity at a center, and it depends on how much vacancy you have, and I think it just depends on the situation. But you know, if there is an opportunity to fill some spaces and you can do some short term leases and show some activity there, I think that helps in general with your longer term leasing efforts in this a little bit more of a challenging time where people are being more creative if landlords are being a little bit more um, business partners with their tenants and trying harder to help the tenants succeed rather than just saying i provided the space i provided the shopping center i'll clean up the common areas 
you all pay me the rent. Um, I was just wondering if conceptually they're starting to think more about how they can help. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the deals that we're getting done are the landlords that are more being more flexible and creative in terms um, in deal terms. So I think that, you know, understanding what's going on, um, I think for the right tenant and if it's, you know, um, provides the, helps to provide the right mix at the center, um, being more creative and flexible. I think, you know, obviously our, we're seeing TIs go up and we're seeing, you know, rents come down in some situations, but um, I just think, you know, that's kind of where we are right now. And yes, there's much more landlord investment and marketing to bring people to properties. I mean, at the end of the day, Every store is evaluated by a retailer based on sales performance and occupancy cost. So it's in the landlord's best interest to promote the property and to have a strong marketing program in place to drive traffic to the shopping center or to merchandise to accomplish that goal. So we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, what are what are the tenants doing, the retailers in this uh, tech age to fight consumers' shift toward technology? I think they're actually trying to embrace it more than fight it. And I think it goes back to the whole omni-channel conversation. And we're seeing, you know, the use of social media and the use of, you know, apps. And, you know, you could obviously you see something on, you know, an Instagram or Facebook and have a direct access the link to purchase something. Um, I think they're really have to be integrated with all of that in order to have, you know, really hold their customers' attention and, and you know, keep them loyal and make it as easy as possible to actually, um, you know, generate a sale. So those who don't embrace it probably won't be here for the long haul, but you're seeing, you know, across the board, whether it's, you know, Target or Walmart or Starbucks and and far beyond that, you're ordering on your phone, Mm -hmm. you're walking in and instantly picking up your, your order. So you're seeing the technology and the store experience tied closely. I mean, that's just a minor example. Or you were saying that Target even does like the new two hour two delivery. hour delivery. Yeah, it's crazy. Aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Sign up. Uh, what do you think is the hottest area right now for retailers? Where do the retailers want to be? I think in terms of the city, you know, we definitely see Southport as you know one of your strongest um, retail corridors in Lakeview you just have little vacancy there you have you know great demographics high density um, that's always and has you know remained a strong area Damon Avenue in Bucktown um, is you know pretty well leased up um, you know a handful of new to market tenants there West Loop has been you know growing um, over the past couple of years and that remains a strong market as well I feel like you know those are the stronger city markets what's next i think logan square yeah uh-huh i think you know a lot of the activity there's a lot of new housing going up right there um so you have more residential you're you know right on the blue line you have it's always been a foodie area you have you know restaurant attention um, and now more retail being added interesting um big picture what's a hot suburban area well, Oak Brook is typically the point of entry, the strongest super regional mall in our market. Um, certainly the super regional markets are are still very active, uh, though there's a lot of vacancy. So there's a lot of redevelopment and transition occurring as well. So Old Orchard, Schaumburg, Orland, um, all, all strong markets. Um, in terms of lifestyle leasing, Deer Park is still top of the list. In terms of overall sales, 
But uh, for suburban downtowns, it's Naperville, by far and away the strongest suburban downtown. Really? Mm -hmm. um, that term lifestyle leasing, can you explain what that is? So lifestyle is a product type that really emerged a couple decades ago for mall retailers to grow. When mall development slowed, the mall retailer's growth vehicle was the lifestyle center, which was more of a collection of mall tenants in an open air convenient location, an infill location. So you'd have your typical um, bookstore, maybe sporting goods store, your Williams-Sonoma Pottery Barn lineup, um, your typical mall apparel, your team, Express, Forever 21, H&M. And over time, that started to transition a little bit more as you know, mall retailers have slowed growth in lifestyle projects. So they've become more hybrid with more local demand, um, more local restaurants, more entertainment components as well, boutique fitness, again, to drive that regular visit. And what's the difference between that and a power center? Power center is typically mid box or big box, so maybe anchored by a Target, a Walmart, Coles. DJ Maxx, Kohl's, Home Depot, yeah. something like Burlington, that. Burlington, Ross. Yeah. I just love that phrase. It's good marketing. It's a power center. It's, that's what I want. I want a power center. Um, just where, where do you think we're going with retail? It's been it's been an interesting past few years. Retail is clearly here to stay at this point. Uh, but where are we going to go with it? We're going towards smaller store footprints, no doubt. We're going towards more experiential. Uh, retailing and again promotion to get tenants into the store we're going towards the merchandising mix that brings people to the property obviously we've 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 stated that today a lot of daily needs so whether it's fitness medical service retail restaurants entertainment um, I think more growth of, of outlet brands you know the outlet stores often outperform the full line stores in terms of sales and uh, we had a big wave of outlet mall development um, that has started to slow. So a lot of those concepts are now looking at other opportunities for growth and power centers. So I think that'll be a theme that continues as well. Uh, we certainly won't be seeing a lot of new construction that will continue to be limited, um, but we'll see predominantly redevelopment. Um, just a quick question on that, the outlet brands. I love having, thanks for answering all my questions about retail, the business of it while I'm here. It's just like, why are we seeing so many more outlet brands? Like every every store now, every brand has an outlet brand as well. And, you know, it, it used to be that outlets were truly, these were the leftover goods. These were the goods that weren't selling. These maybe even a little minor defect that you could overlook. Uh, but now that seems to be just an established level. There's the regular J. Crew and there's the outlet J. Crew. I, we're both looking to the We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I, I think they've always been there and existed, but it just seems like now they're looking for retail presence, like street front retail or in areas where there are, you know, full line stores um, instead of just being located in the outlet centers. So yeah. I, I don't I don't know. Well, it also maybe it goes back to your point about just people wanting to feel like they got a deal. You know, these are similar products and they're not even sometimes that different of a price point. No, they it just, just differentiate too. So you'll have fewer full line stores in the market. They'll have fewer outlet stores in the market, but it may be an opportunity to capture that shopper twice. So if you really yeah. like the brand, 
you know, it's another chance to, to capture that additional dollar. Jamie, is there anything you wanted to say about the, the future of, of retail? Um, I mean, I think market pretty sum, pretty much summed it up. I mean, other than that, I think, you know, we'll probably see more pop-up shops as well, um, which I think is exciting. I think it's, a like we said, a good way to test out the concept. So I think that's it. All right. Well, uh, we'll get you out of here on maybe one or two more questions, but I just want to know what are the new, what are the cool new tenants? What are they, what are the cool kids doing? What are the millennials doing that I don't know about? Uh, where do people want to go? Um, I personally, I'm excited for Allbirds to open up in Armitage. Um, those are the shoes, right? Those are the shoes yeah. that, yeah, I actually, my husband, we get many boxes of Bird. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that store. Um, I think Foxtrot is a new cool concept that's popping up. Um, they started online and uh, they're, you know, now have brick and mortar locations in the neighborhoods. Um, I don't know if you're familiar what's, with them. No, what's fine. I'm literally doing my holiday shopping list right now based off this conversation. Uh, <laughs> That's more if you're going to plan like, you know, a date night with your wife and you want to, you know, stop in or order online and, you know, they'll deliver to you. They have, you know, wine section, they have cheeses, they have, um, you know, more kind of that higher end gourmet market and you can stop in there pick something up you know ice cream cookies sandwiches everything they also have a coffee bar in there as well so um that's a new one very cool um amazon go yeah i mean really big for the city um with you know recent openings and 1600 square feet or so but planned rollout of that concept throughout the city and the suburbs um, including some larger format units as well so that'll be really interesting to see how that well, that affects uh, grocery shopping. Well, what are you hearing in terms of kind of store quantity? They have, I think it's about six locations right now that are signed in the loop um, and plans to further expand. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, what is Phil's coffee? Yeah, that so Phil's I was just going to mention. Um, <laughs> Excited for oh, this. <laughs> Excited for I love coffee. <laughs> I have a podcast called Real Safer Breakfast. So Phil's is unique. Um, they have, you know, they're based on the West Coast, so they're coming into the market, and it's different from a Starbucks or any other of our, you know, coffee shops here. It's the pour over. So okay. you know, it and there's different flavors. There's a coffee, you know, a, a reader, a coffee board um, that you can choose from. But you know, it's usually like a five or ten minute wait for your coffee, um, and you know they you can sit there uh, they have some grab-and-go food as well it, it seems a little more like foodie coffee to me yeah. just I'm she said all the for sponsorship here I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical <laughs> on this I gotta say I like my quick coffee but uh, I know that I'm uh, that's not the direction a lot of places are go the poor over coffees are doing very well so that'll be new yeah. um, which I think will be neat um, any before we'll get you out of here on just one last one is just um, what, do you, what do you think about uh, retail? You've, we've talked a little bit about the future, but is there anything we're missing here? Is there anything you want to add? Uh, it's a golden nugget of wisdom about retail. I think we're just trying to, you know, understand what's going on right now. And I think, you know, the perception is probably worse than really what's the reality. And there are still retailers expanding. Um, all the research shows that they are going to continue doing bricks and mortar stores. We're as the you know leasing you know reps for landlords, just trying to get on board with that and trying to figure out how we can um, you know be more creative. 
it's not without its challenges, but it's certainly one of the most fascinating times in, in retail that I've experienced through my career. So all bets are off, and we'll see who, who survives the next wave. Well, it's definitely an interesting time, and I would say the landlords out there, since you can't say it, um, you, sh you should hire people that have the information that are out there every day working on this, coming up with creative solutions like Mid-America Asset Management. Um, so, Jamie, Mark, Margaret, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time here today. And we'll put the link to Mid-America in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank, thank you. you. information contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or other professional advice, and no professional relationship of any kind is created between you, the podcast host, the guests, or Clark Hill, PLC. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and the guests and not necessarily Clark Hill PLC.